Welcome to the Graceful Confidence Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Debick, the founder of Life Coaching with Lauren, a female empowerment coach, an entrepreneur, empath, and a lover of the ego-friendly lifestyle. My mission is to help women take control of their lives by teaching them how to increase their confidence in an authentic and genuine way so they can achieve both personal and professional goals. I will share ways to increase your confidence, tips on how to integrate grace into your life, as well as stories and advice from other experts on how, as women, we can better empower ourselves and those around us. I will show you exactly how to use the power of confidence and grace to create an empowering and invigorating life that you are excited about waking up to every single day. Now, let's dive in. I would like to give a shout out to my patrons, Waslos, Britton, Barbie, Lisa, and Glenda. Thank you so much for your continued support of the Graceful Confidence Podcast. If you are interested in becoming a patron of this creative project, please check out my link in bio. Have you ever had the opportunity to meet someone who you did not know was going to enter your life, but when they did, you were just so excited about meeting them, their energy, and learning that there are people like you out there in the world? That's how I felt about today's guest. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lisa Anderson. Lisa is the publisher and CEO of Lisa Anderson Media. A seeker of stories, Lisa publishes magazines and books to inspire herself and others. She has a strong desire to bring people together through our common thread of humanity. Lisa's work can be found in publications such as The Choose Letter, Locala, in Fitness and in Health, and elsewhere. The publisher of and participating author in the captivating anthology, Shameless, 40 Women Share Their Journey of Self-Awareness, Self-Love, and Leading with Light, which is being released in June 2022, Lisa plans to continue expanding her library of published works. A Wisconsin native, Lisa now lives in North Central Florida with her significant other and their two dogs. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Lisa, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So I first met Lisa actually on social media without her knowing it. I was kind of a stalker, actually. So I saw that someone was sharing some inspirational, motivational words, and they were in Ocala, and I got so jazzed. So I think I followed you on Instagram, Facebook, everything really, really quickly. And you were probably like, who is this person? And then a few weeks later, I saw you at a art event that was going on, and I remember turning and looking at my husband and saying, oh my gosh, that that's Lisa. I need to meet her. He's like, okay. So I met you that night. And since that time, we've had the opportunity to have several different conversations and I've got to learn more about you. And I am just so excited and so passionate about the things that you are sharing with the community. So first of all, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I remember seeing you that you were in Ocala as well and being very excited. And then seeing you at that art event was, I recognize her. (laughs) It's funny how the paths sometimes cross like that. Yes. So since that time, we've had the opportunity to sit down and talk about both of our journeys, how I got started with the podcast, how you got started with your publishing company. And your story really stems from the concept of shame. And that's what we're here to talk about today, because I do think everyone at some point has gone through something in their life that has made them feel feelings of shame, of low confidence, and really that's what this is about. Your story and what you've learned from it and what you're sharing with the world. So to get us started, would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about your experiences with shame? Yeah, absolutely. I started thinking about the questions when you sent that to me and trying to pinpoint the first time that I probably felt shame. And what I realized was that I don't think I could really pinpoint that very first time. 
But what I did notice was that the times that I really remember that I still probably have nightmares about even to this day are the little things that stuck out to solidify the fears that you were already having. So I was a bigger child. I was always taller than everybody in my class. Um, I was bigger boned, so I wasn't overweight, but I saw myself as that. And some of the things that would stick out would be in my early elementary days um, when, let's say, my best friends were not in school and the popular kids would come out to the playground and say, hey, do you want to play with us? And I would, okay, you know, and they say, okay, well, you have to fall face down in the snow first in order for us to play with you. So I did it and I remember getting up and they were walking away and laughing. And then later in my probably, I think, middle school age, I was in a private school. Normally, we would be wearing um, an outfit, like a uniform, and the girls were required to wear skirts. So that hit a lot, but you still always had that fear. And my parents were not very wealthy, so a lot of my clothes came from hand-me-downs and thrift stores. And so jeans didn't fit me all that well. And I wore what I had on a casual day one day. And um, two kids came up to ask me questions. And I pulled out from my desk. I was sitting down and I pulled my chair out to go to my backpack. And so you could see this leg thigh spread that happens no matter what weight you are, if you're not wearing the right clothes, right? <laughs> and um, the, I remember the boy whispering to the girl, oh my gosh, she's so fat. And the girl going, shh. And, you know, those types of moments, just as I said, solidify those fears that you're already having about yourself. And so I think those are the moments that you remember feeling the most shame, even though you were already feeling that inside. Those are such specific pinpoint examples of times where you felt that. And I have my own moment, very similar to you. I was very tall at a young age, so I stood out significantly. And we were doing, I did ice skating up north. We were doing our first show. And when we went back to look, my family and I went back to look at the video that my family had taped of it, there was someone in the background saying, is that the instructor referring to me? Because I was clearly significant larger than the other children. And then the comment came, well, if she is, she isn't very good. And that was like a double doozy. Number one, I'm not good at skating. And number two, I stand out so much. But they are such specific instances we can pinpoint that make us feel those feelings of low confidence. And I will say, I think for both of us, those were instances and experiences that made us the people we are today. And I would say we're aware, super aware of how these experiences impact others and helping people know that everyone goes through these feelings. And you made a comment during a conversation we've had where even the popular kids sometimes feel these things. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just one way that um, they express themselves to make themselves feel better by making somebody else feel worse. So while some of us, like you and I, probably would internalize that, um, the popular kids that have a bit more charisma and they're looking to stay popular will make other people feel worse so that they can feel better about themselves and hide those insecurities that they have. So the point is everyone feels these feelings. Yeah, I think that's the biggest lesson that you learn as an adult is really you aren't alone in these feelings that you have. 
So how did these experiences impact you as you move forward and you grew up? Well, you know, I want to go back a little bit to my mom as well, having an impact on how I felt about myself because this was, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s. I was born in 82, so we still had film cameras. And my mom, growing up, had always been able to eat whatever she wanted to eat and just stay super thin. And she had my sister and I, and she wasn't able to lose the weight like she used to. She couldn't eat whatever she wanted to eat. And this was before the time of the internet and being able to really research good healthy habits. You know, um, I grew up on a farm. We drank a lot of diet soda because we thought that was good and hydrating. It was cold and you'd go a whole day without actually drinking water because you were just rehydrating with cans of soda. And, um, you know, but I watched my mom's self-confidence really diminish and that really had an effect on me as well because I didn't have a strong figure and you can't blame her she was struggling with her own self-identity at that point but we had a huge chunk of time where my mom would run away from the camera and this is obviously before the digital age right so it was film camera and you can't redo the picture you can't say mom come back out and be nice you know it costs money to get that film developed and most of the pictures for about a decade of my mom was running into another room holding her hand up over her face so that really impacted me as well and then um when you get into relationships my first relationship you know you you Grew up watching all the romantic movies. We were big on the AMC channel, you know, and, um, you know, the Disney channel. Well, there wasn't a Disney channel, I don't think. But even the movies. (laughs) But even the movies, yeah, yeah. You know, um, Ariel, uh, The Little Mermaid had come out when we were kids, you know. And and, um, so you, you see these big romantic things. And so my first boyfriend, the poor man, I fell head over heels with him. It was only like two weeks in, you know, oh my gosh, he kissed me, a boy liked me. I was 16 years old. But what happened was that he wound up starting a pattern for me in my relationships because he broke up with me two weeks later, called me back a couple of days later, said, no, I made a mistake. And then two days later, he broke up with me to go out with a friend. So now we're in my early 20s. And probably the next most significant relationship for myself. And I meet a very charismatic man. And um, he is an alcoholic, which I didn't see at the time. Because when you're living up north, most people drink a lot. So you're pretty used to seeing people have a beer or two in the evening. Um, And of course, you know, I'm in my early 20s. So everybody's drinking, right? And then... um, He was narcissistic, he was emotionally abusive, and one of the things um, that it took me even a long time, you know, almost 20 years later to actually admit to myself, was that he was also sexually abusive. And so that relationship was because I had no self-confidence and he could see that. So those are the type of people that take full advantage of that and they build you up and then they see how far and what they can test and then they crumble you and they make you feel like you deserve nobody else but them. And so that was one of the most impactful, horrible relationships. And it's 
you know, it started with my first relationship at 16. That one lasted for three. Um, the relationship in my early 20s lasted for three years. And then it took me a long time. I kind of repeated that relationship in different ways. Um, he wound up being a big cheater. Like, I can't even tell you how many people he was with during that time. And I knew it. I knew it. I watched the behavior, but I didn't have enough evidence to say that it was happening. And I, because he had instilled so much more self-doubt than what I already came into the relationship with, I refused to believe it. And when girls would show up, he'd be like, oh, no, she's just absolutely crazy. She's nuts. She won't leave me alone. She's an ex. And you believe these little lies because you want to because you want to believe that he loves you enough that he wouldn't be doing anything like that. So, you know, um, but it took me a long time. I'm in a very healthy relationship now. Um, you know, people look at us a little weird. We're, we're so healthy that, you know, we have actually never shared a bedroom. We come together for the fun stuff, of course, but we know each other well enough to say, I respect your space. He's an insomniac. I go to bed at 8 p.m. I get up around 4 a.m. That's about the time that he's lucky enough to maybe catch 20 minutes to an hour of sleep at a time. Um, he also, when he is sleeping, he flails around like he has nightmares. I like my own space. So, you know, I even get mad at the dogs on my bed sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we have these honest conversations and um Everything is just very open and honest and that I think, you know, it took me a long time to get there and I didn't, it took me a long time to be able to trust him enough with that as well. But he had also been in some bad relationships. So we just were very open and honest with our communication and that worked best for us. Speaking from the perspective of someone who has also been in emotionally abusive relationships, manipulative relationships, it's hard. And the way I approached it at the time was I can fix this person. I can make them a better person yeah. when all along I wasn't realizing that I didn't have the confidence in myself to stand up and say, this is not okay. Yeah. I think that's, I, you know, I think part of that too, when you're, you can be a giver yes. and be such a giver that you're trying to fix them when really you should be fixing yourself. You're absolutely right. So you went through these relationships. At what point did you recognize or how did you go about the process of starting to quote unquote fix yourself? You know, that was another question when I saw that. I was, I don't know how to pinpoint that really because I, I think you start very slowly. Um, you know, you have to build people around you that believe in you enough so that their words start outweighing the words of all the negative stuff that you've told yourself and that those people from those types of relationship have told you. Um, you know, you think of those little pinpoint things, some of the things that stick out still from that relationship are the weirdest things, you know? Like every time I go to get my hair cut, this one still pops up, which is horrible to say, but it's true. And now I just kind of shake my head and say, I'm going to do whatever I want. But I remember coming back to his place after a haircut and I'd gotten my hair cut short and he says, you look like a potato head. 
And so now every time I go to get my hair cut, that line runs through my head and I'm like, nope, I'm going to get my hair cut however I want to. As you should. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, so, you know, it's it's really hard to pinpoint when you start self-healing because I think it's a continuous process at any way. You know, I can't say I'm the most confident person ever. I have an introverted nature as an adult. as um, I, I was as a child too, but when I found my friends, I was very outgoing, running around. Let's go do things. Let's have fun. Let's go to the movies. Let's do this. And now I'm like, oh, I can watch that movie at home. Great. <laughs> um, oh, I can stay home on a Friday night. Wonderful. You know, I, I, 2020, I did just fine with that. <laughs> so it's really hard to pinpoint when you're, when you're having that because I'm, you know, as an introvert, I don't like to go out and network. You know, I know I should. I know I need to. I'm a publisher. I publish a community magazine, right? I should be at every single networking event. But the thought of it still exhausts me. And part of that is because you're still developing that confidence within yourself. I have, I can walk into a room and act like I own it, no problem. But I don't necessarily always feel it. And, you know, I think just understanding that about yourself and allowing some grace you know, and to, as your podcast is, to be gracefully confident within yourself, not to demean somebody else because you feel that you aren't worthy and not to demean yourself because you need that extra space to be able to breathe and say, I can do this and not to put yourself down for having those feelings because you're going to always have those feelings. Um, you know, I still struggle with weight. I deal a lot with doctors who body shame. I deal a lot with um, the, you know, I have been for about hmm, close to 15 years now dealing with exhaustion and other things that happen to women's bodies. And um, if, it, if it doesn't fit into the one package they were looking at, they say, oh, it's your weight and you're depressed and here's some medication for an appetite suppressant and your depression. And you're like, no, no, no. No, no, my depression is because I'm exhausted and nobody can give me answers. My weight is depressing me because I lose, plateau, and then gain 20, 30, 40 pounds above where I was before when I make one change to my diet or my exercise plan. So you still are constantly, even as an adult, fighting these uphill battles no matter what they are. And so you will always have internal battles with yourself and to understand that and to be okay with it. And then to understand that everybody else is doing the exact same thing. Fact. They are. <laughs> everyone is on their own journey. It's yep. going to look different across the board, but everyone is going through something. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And, I, you know, I'm not the type of person to hold a sign out on a corner and scream for justice for women, for diversity, whatever. So that was a lot of the reason for me getting into publishing. Um, that and I love puzzle pieces and I was a graphic designer. So what else, could, you know, do you do? You tell stories and you design them. <laughs> so, um, you know, but when I created the magazine here locally and um wanting to bring it into other communities um, in versions of itself for those types of communities, I, I knew that the power to connect us to our humanity is to show people that we all have ties that bind us. And the best way to do that is to tell somebody's story because somebody else is going to go, oh my gosh, 
I think the same way, or, oh my gosh, that's so similar to my story. And you go, I'm not alone. And you know what? That person is a human being. They're not a computer screen. They don't deserve my bullying. Yeah, I'm probably going to judge somebody, you know, because that first impression, we're, we're trained for that. That's how we're brought up and to look at people in that first instance and to judge them, who they are, their character, everything about them. And so we're very conditioned to that. And I think it's a lot easier for us to do that now with technology than it has been in the past. But even so, you're walking by the mom that looks so tired and exhausted or their kid is screaming and they're not doing anything about it. And your first thought, especially if you don't have kids, is going to be, oh my God, she's a terrible mom. What's wrong with her? Well, really, she's had two hours of sleep in the last 48 hours and this child is sick and screaming and she has no one to give her a break because she's a single mom trying to do it on her own. But we don't know that. We've judged her based on that exact situation and then we moved on. We are a society that is very quick to judge. And you mentioned technology. How do you think social media has changed the way we do that and how shame comes about? Because I, it's because it's different from being in school and having kids talk to you to your face or, I mean, I guess technology was part of my story too with the video mm-hmm. camera, but mm-hmm. social media is totally different. Yeah, social media is a lot different. And luckily, I haven't experienced a whole lot of bullying um, via technology, but you watch it happen so much, especially for young kids. And I think I think the difference is, is when you're out in that store and you see that mom, you have an internal dialogue, right? Most of us aren't going to say anything to that mom. We might roll our eyes, but she may or may not see that, right? What happens when we're on a screen, we feel we have permission to be horrible and to say these thoughts that we have to that person and because we forget what their reaction is going to be we can't see their face um you know i'm on the side of tiktok where you see these people's reactions to the bullying that's taking place in their comments um you know some of my favorite tiktoks are the snapbacks where they're like you don't get to judge me you don't know me Um, But you see these other people who are just crumbling inside because they're getting all of this hate when all they're trying to do is bring joy. And there's just people out there that give themselves permission to go ahead and just bully and say whatever is on their mind and forget that human element. And I think that's the most dangerous part about our technology nowadays. What piece of advice would you have for those type of people? Ooh, boy. <laughs> you know, I, I think you have to, whether you're out in public in person or behind a computer screen, you need to stop and think, what would this do to me? How would my internal reaction or external reaction be to reading something like that for myself? I think it's really hard to give people advice that have no self-worth, that they feel that they have to make other people feel less than because it's going to take them a long time to understand that making people feel less than isn't going to make them feel better in the long run. They're still going to have those horrible feelings about themselves 
so I don't really know other than to keep reminding them of people's humanity and how to really help them change. Which sounds very similar to where we started the conversation from being kids in school and having that group of people who were trying to make others feel less so they could feel more. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I, you know, I think that is showing it's rearing its very ugly head a lot more because we have that safety behind the screen. We don't get to see those people's tears. If they respond to our comment and are crying, we can go, well, don't need to see that and scroll right by it. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that uh, it's a lot easier now than it ever was um, being bullied when you were in, in grade school, you know. Circling back to your journey of self-healing, were there any specific things that you did to help you along this path? So you mentioned the word, the words you said to yourself or the way you talked to yourself. Mm-hmm. Were you using words of affirmation or journaling or anything like that along, along the path? Yeah, I did a lot of journaling. Um, you know, most of I can't even go back and read my journals, quite honestly. I finally just threw them away when I decided I, you know, it was about probably three years after I decided to not have kids. And I'm like, why am I lugging these around? I can't read them. I have no children to give them to. So let's just toss them out. I think that process for me was definitely healing to be able to write stuff down. I still laugh because I do a lot of the writing for my magazine and I am contributing to another anthology with another publisher. And they come back with, oh, you're this fantastic writer and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I have no schooling. I rely heavily on my editor. (laughs) (laughs) And because I always make grammatical errors and stuff. But I think I think the journaling helped with that because I had to get my story out. To answer your question, I think that was probably the most self-healing for me was journaling. And when you start having those really dark thoughts or or things are happening in your relationship and you're not quite ready to talk about it yet. Um, You know, one of the rules that we have in my relationship with my significant other right now is he wants to talk about it and understand what he did wrong so he can improve that behavior, right? I usually get so mad that if I talk about it, I'm going to say something horrible Or I need to just process my thoughts. So our rule is if he asks me if I'm okay, I'm not allowed to say fine if I'm not. That's a great rule. Yes. What I can say is no, I'm not talking about it right now. And then come back and talk about it when I can talk about it without fighting with him. And quite honestly, that is so healthy for us because in the over 10 years that we have been together, we have never had a full-out fight. We have little spats, who doesn't? But we have never had a full-out fight. And that's something completely different if you go back to my um, relationship in my early 20s. We were screaming and fighting at each other all the time. So I think being able to understand what your boundaries and what your needs are helps you to gain confidence, to be able to talk about the things that are most difficult. And that's scary. That's scary scary. to do, especially in relationships. And our, our stories and paths are so similar because like you, I turned to journaling at a very young age. And I credit that for getting me to where I am now. 
But the piece about boundaries and relationships and healthy conversations, part of the reason I was always hesitant to engage in conversations that might lead to something uncomfortable was because I don't want to hurt the other person's feeling. I don't want to rock the boat, not knowing that I was totally dismantling the boat by just saying I was fine. Right. Yeah, that's it. You can't, you have to acknowledge your feelings. And if that means acknowledging your feelings, going to journal them out, and then coming back and having that conversation, then you need to do that for yourself. You need to let whoever is in your sphere of relationships, whether it's a significant other, whether it's a best friend, whether it's your family, you have to communicate what everybody needs and you have to find that compromise because otherwise you don't have those difficult conversations. We keep everything internalized. And I think that is probably the most unhealthy way to be. You know, I had a wonderful childhood growing up. My parents were fantastic, but I was convinced they loved my sister more than me. And I, you know, and I would do little things that would make them feel horrible because I was feeling horrible. My mom and I were so much alike, but because we didn't have that communication growing up, I was horrible to her. Our relationship was horrible. Six months after I moved out, I called her up and I said, I'm sorry. You know, but you have to be able to build those relationships when you're an adult. As a kid, you're going to do what you're going to do to learn, right? And if and I'm not a parent, so I'm not going to tell anybody how to parent their children. But I think as an adult, you have to start understanding how to have those conversations. And do I think that starts when you're a parent teaching your child? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. How you see that looking for yourself, that's your own personal choice. I think that's one of the other things that we have to understand, too. As adults, we need to stop shaming other people for having those conversations. And speaking of parents, that was one of the biggest things that I saw when I used to be a breastfeeding photographer. I wasn't a mom, so I was trying to get very much involved in this world and understand their needs to make it more comfortable for them to come into my studio. And what I saw was shaming on both sides of the fence. You saw moms who shamed other moms for not breastfeeding. You saw moms who shamed other moms for breastfeeding. You saw moms shaming moms for raising their child this way or that way. Or, you know, this group, we close in on each other. When we're in our own little spheres, we close in, tighten it, and you can't learn about each other. I think that's the... That's so damaging to our society. It was very difficult for me to learn about breastfeeding, to get in with these moms, because I didn't have kids. They didn't want to invite me in. And it took a friend to say, come, I, I got permission for you to come and be in this breastfeeding group. And did you know that was the first time that I learned that breastfeeding could hurt and it doesn't always go the way it does on movies where the baby just goes to the boob and starts having some milk? You know, I didn't know there was troubles. I didn't know moms screamed and cried in pain when their children breastfed. You know, so I think understanding if you to answer an earlier question, how do we get people to learn about, you know, how to unlearn these behaviors is by inviting people in to stop being that closed off group and to understand that everybody has a different method. You know, if it's not damaging to somebody in our society or as a whole or hurting somebody, just let them be, you know? Why do you think we close ourselves in? I think, I think it comes to that herd mentality. 
you know, we don't want other people that aren't part of our, our herd to, to know what we're doing. Um, you know, becoming a magazine publisher was oddly very difficult. There was nothing, you know, there, here's Google. Google has everything, right? Nope. <laughs> you know, um, so I think we're so scared of other people either judging us, taking away what we have, or um, not understanding, and that comes back to the judgment, um, that we just close it off to the people who can be understanding, you know? So breast, so first you get these bigger groups, if we're going to go back to parents, right? So you have moms, and then you have single moms, and then you have moms that breastfeed and moms that don't breastfeed and moms with one child and moms with multiple children or triplets or twins. And we just kind of gravitate towards our likeness. And we do that as friends too, right? And um, when really sometimes the opposite people are who we need in our lives to kind of check us, right? But we just want to close in and feel safe. And it's safe to be with like-minded people. It's safe to be with people who look like us. It's safe to be with people who act like us. It's safe to be with people who have the same belief system as us. And it all comes back to that herd safety mentality because we don't want the predators getting in. So what I'm hearing you say is it sounds like we as a collective society in our different herds don't want to appear vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. The fact of the matter is staying in our herds is not always what's best for us, not what's best for the collective whole of humanity, not what's best for the world. So I think it's important to be able to recognize while you may have your your safety in your herd, you can find safety outside of that also in different ways. Absolutely. And it all comes back down to that conversation, that willingness to, if you're going to judge, to judge internally check yourself and then say maybe what you know that mom over there is going through is she hasn't had more than two hours of sleep in the past 48 hours so showing compassion grace and kindness absolutely lisa if you can go back and give the younger version of yourself words of encouragement what would you say it hurts now but it's the lessons you need to learn to become the person you are today who is the person you are today? The person I am today is someone who understands that I can be confident while also having self-doubt. I can be happy and smiling and forgiving while also being judgmental. I can be kind while also being mean. I am human. I make errors. And I just have to understand that other people's situations may not be identical to mine, but they may be the thread that tugs somewhere else within my life. I appreciate your transparency, your honesty, your vulnerability, your confidence, and your grace so very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being on this show today. Thank you so much for having me. If someone wanted to find you or learn more about the different projects that you have going on, where would they look? Um, Well, I honestly haven't been keeping up with my social media that you found me on very well. But if they do want to find me, um, Instagram would probably be the best. And it's Lisa Anderson Media.
Thank you again, Lisa. Thank you for tuning in and we will talk soon.